Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, it was a very distressing weekend with the attacks in Denmark and then the decapitations in Libya. It was great to see the president respond, though forcefully, didn't wait a second. He took action. Unfortunately, that was the president of Egypt. Yeah, he didn't uh, exercise strategic patience and wait for a long investigation of exactly who had done this. Uh, I think he wanted to show that uh, Egypt would fight back when its citizens were murdered. And um, meanwhile, President Obama's been playing golf. And I had a funny exchange with someone where I said, you know, in light of this weekend's events, Congress should pass a one-sentence authorization for the use of military force, and it should just say the president—excuse <laughs> me—the president is hereby authorized to use any necessary means to crush and destroy ISIS. And uh, someone else uh, emailed and said, "Well, can't we? Com- can't Congress compel him?" to destroy ISIS. And I don't really know how you compel a president to do something like that. I suppose they could threaten to cut off his funds for golf. Maybe that would actually get his attention. (laughs) Give him a sense of urgency. It's pathetic that he's sending up this time-limited and uh, cautious and otherwise limited uh, request for authorization of the use of force when the war is happening now. We're fighting it now. We're fighting it half-heartedly. But there's no point in giving him a broader mandate. He's just not going to use it. I mean, you can set you can tell the president, Mr. President, I know you're using a 22 pistol on this problem, but here's a 357 and a bazooka, but he's not going to pick them up. So there's. Yeah, there's I, no I agree, but I think it's very important for the Republican Party, which controls both parties of Congress, to make clear that it did its best, you know, and I mean, maybe he'll pivot a little bit, but in any case, at least it lays the groundwork for going to the public and saying we've had a Democratic president for. Uh, go for the, to the public in 2016 and saying we've had a Democratic president for eight years and he's refused to do the things that he could have done, including things that a Republican Congress explicitly was willing to let him do. You know, it's uh, there's an argument that says good for America, good for America to back away because, look, Jordan and Egypt are stepping up and to some degree they are. At the same time, watching America back away and watching this kind of, as you pointed out, the new policy of uh, strategic patience is watching what fills the vacuum. And two things that just made my, me sick to my stomach, uh, Bill, watching the Danish ambassador to the U.S. say on Monday morning, there is no problem of rising anti-Semitism, even after his country had just suffered an attack on the synagogue. And then the horrific news that people in Denmark, Muslims in, uh, in Denmark are actually putting flowers at a memorial spot to the shooter the same way that people were putting flowers to the memorial of the uh, in memorial to the victims. No, it is stomach churning, and you know it's all the uh, 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 pussyfooting around and uh, you know politically correct talk about how there's no problem in within Europe, but we can't say the words Islamic extremism, and we can't uh, condemn some within the Islamic community to do this kind of thing. In our countries, that's what the Europeans' uh, general attitude has been, because it'll just make things worse. It's been the opposite, obviously. It's emboldened the worst actors, and I'm sure it's caused the decent Muslims who live in Denmark to go into hiding, basically. They're not going to stick their necks out and possibly have happened to them what happened at at the free speech, uh, you know, uh, um, event, or obviously at the synagogue. So... It's it's all counterproductive, the retreat. Even with Jordan and Egypt, it's, I admire those countries for stepping up, but if you ask Jordanians and Egyptians, they could use a lot of help from us, actually, and they would be happier if we were there with them. I think, uh, you know, with all due respect to the air forces of Jordan and Egypt, could do a lot more if there were U.S., uh, a little more U.S. cooperation and U.S. participation, perhaps, in some of these efforts to destroy uh, this, this horrendous group. And 
uh, it really you just can't believe it's happening and that we're sitting around doing so little. And, 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 and then the president, six months into a war, he himself went on national television to announce, is asking for a half-hearted authorization for the use of military force. What signal does that send uh, abroad? And incidentally, in the speech where he announced his great effort against ISIS, um, I believe he cited Yemen as kind of an example of how we would fight this kind of ta- counterterrorism. And Yemen, we've just closed our embassy, and the place is controlled by a bunch of Iranian proxies, and the counterterrorism effort there has been a total failure. So you really c- keep thinking it can't get that much worse, and then you realize it is getting worse, and we have this president for almost two more years. And the bombings, which you know pale in comparison to other bombing efforts, you know when we were trying to bomb the uh, uh, Serbs into leaving Bosnia and Kosovo alone, we used a you know a huge serious military force. It was clear that even though we weren't on the ground, we were serious about what we were doing. And you look at the number that we're bragging. I thought that was hilarious on think on Thursday or Friday. White House announces eleven bombing raids on on ISIS. Like eleven? It's like that scene in the movie Spinal Tap. It goes to eleven. Well that's that, that, no, we need more. It needs to be enough to make a difference. And it clearly isn't. Yeah, I mean it's probably making some difference and tactically on the ground there, but and look, we're so strong that even a very half-hearted effort by us, you know, is, uh, can be sort of impressive. If you're some fighter and you see some uh, A-10 or other U.S. airplane coming towards you, it's, it's not a happy moment. But you're right, it's not fundamentally changing the strategic equation. In fact, things have gotten worse since September 10th. I've talked to people who follow this very closely, people in the military. We've had a couple of tactical victories in Iraq, but Syria continues to be uh, just a spiral totally out of control. And in Iraq itself, of course, we've seen an Ambar now. They've seemed to have seized most of a town that's three miles from a base that we have, what, three, four hundred Marines on working with the Iraqis. So um, we may well have to intervene there with a substantial number of troops to fight, help those 300, 400 Marines fight or conceivably even airlift them out, which would be just a horrible humiliation. So, uh, no, the degree of, of just fecklessness that this pre- and does the president even pay attention? One wonders. I mean, so, I mean, I don't really mean this polemically or in a partisan way. Does he even have? Does he go back to the Situation Room and say, "What are, what, what are we doing here? Uh, let's get a, our generals on the line. What do they need? Do they need anything more than they have?" Does this, I, I mean, it really you wonder if he's just he needs to pay less attention to this than to his little squabbles, of course, with his, the, the, the the one party he seems really to want to defeat, which is the Republican Party in Congress. You know, it's, and I think about if I were president, and for the sake of America, let's hope that never happens. Uh, if I it's were particularly, safe, I think it's a safe bet. Exactly. But if I were this president, if I heard word of a terrorist attack, and I were anywhere near a golf course or a golf club, I would run away. I would just, I would, from from a standpoint of presenting yourself to your citizens, I would run away, knowing the storyline that we have. It's like why it hurt so much or was so apt when the president. You you know got a hold of a selfie stick and went out to promote the uh, Affordable Care Act. It's not the same as a you know a, a W or a Reagan whatever doing it just because they're not notorious for being such narcissists. I really think that from a standpoint of of uh, persuading the people, if if the president was trying to do any of that before and there's not a lot of evidence he was, I think he's completely abandoned it. It's simply here's the power I've got. I'm going to swing it like a hammer. The Republicans are too disorganized or too distrusted to stop me, and I'm just going to keep bashing away, and I, I could care less what people think of me when I'm done. And I think he could care less what foreigners apparently think of him. For all the talk about public diplomacy and smart power and soft power, he's utterly uninterested in that. What do the citizens of Denmark think? 
when they see this terrorism happening. And the, the president doesn't, I don't think he even issued a statement himself. I think the statement was from some deputy spokesman at the National Security Council. David Cameron, uh, the prime minister of, of, of Great Britain, issued a statement denouncing, I think he called it Islamic uh, ra- extremism mm-hmm. or extra- Islamic terrorism. Uh, of course, the president can't bring himself to say that. Uh, if you're an Egyptian, what do you think? I mean, th- this is part of public diplomacy, is showing concern and doing so visibly. If you're the president of the United States, when these are serious allies of ours, after all, uh, are having attacks on their own soil, it's of a piece with the failure to do anything to serious after the attack in Paris. Um, John Kerry shows up a week later with James Taylor. I guess maybe he and James Taylor will now fly to Copenhagen and then to Cairo. Um, and, you know, I, I, it sounds almost, you see it to even say it, because as you say, you realize, well, that probably is what's going to happen. <laughs> I, please, the, 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 the people of Denmark have suffered enough. Let's not inflict James Taylor on them. But I have one last question for you, and it's about the, uh, the White House summit this Wednesday and Thursday, dedicated explicitly to violent extremism. That's all. No other qualifiers that just extremism in and of itself is this moral, you know, is, is the danger of the day. And I'm like, what? Well, there's all kinds of extremism. You know, there's extreme sports, extreme couponing. You know, it's saying that you're the problem is violent extremism is like health professionals saying the problem is weight extremism. No, extremely skinny isn't America's problem right now. Everyone knows America's problem is obesity. And the president, I think there's a point where it's it's laughable and embarrassing at the same at the same time. It almost where it becomes a self fulfilling joke, if you will. Yeah, no, and I hadn't focused on the summit, because as you say, mostly one assumes it'll be kind of a joke. But actually, I think I'm going to actually ask a couple of weekly standards to cover it and to really look at it, you know, kind of closely, because I think it will be revealing, maybe despite the laughable uh, title, there'll actually be some people who talk about reality. But if they don't, in a way, it's, of course, you say it's worse than doing nothing to be like having, I don't know, a, a, you know, a summit meeting in 1940 in Britain on uh, you know, different forms of, well, think of it, yeah, violent extremism right. in Europe and <laughs> elsewhere, and we don't want to specify any single one that might be more threatening than the others. I mean, really, I come back to the damage it does abroad, though. I mean, if you are in Egypt, and, you know, Egypt's full of people who are, you know, ambivalent probably about should they, how close should they be to the U.S., and, and uh, maybe they need to make their peace with some of these Islamist types. And I mean, what do you think when you see this pathetic lack of reaction? On our part, I think the good news is I think the American public really is uh, has been shocked by the last year or two. You know, Romney lost in 2012, and a lot of us were depressed by that. Whatever our doubts about Romney, and thought, geez, maybe Obama's just kind of getting away with pulling the wool over people's eyes. I think the truth was you just didn't see in 2012 as many of the consequences, even a small proportion of the consequences, <coughs> excuse me, of his foreign policy. Of weakness and retreat. I mean, we had Benghazi in you know September of 2012, and Romney, of course, didn't exploit that, or exploit's not the right word, didn't explain that. Well, now it's become so evident. And I was struck. I spoke at a Lincoln Day dinner outside Philadelphia on Thursday, and for kind of random and accidental reasons, I ended up uh, talking a little more about defensive foreign policy than I expected. I had been in Munich last week, and I had been talking to people on the Hill about the uh, authorization for the use of force and uh, been a meeting about the defense budget. So anyway, this stuff is kind of on my mind, and I do think it's something, as I said, at the Senate, the Republican Congress, if it could just stop a terrible deal with Iran and stop the free-fall in defense, that would not be, that would be quite a big contribution, even if they couldn't do much in domestic policy. And so I just spoke a few minutes about that in, in the midst of you know, talking about other things. 
And I was surprised how many people came up to me afterwards and said, you know, thanks for talking about defense and foreign policy. More people need to really focus on that. It's humiliating when you read the papers each morning and see what's happening around the world. And not just humiliating, but dangerous. I, I really think this was not, this was a sort of actually a moderate Republican crowd, I would say, in the Philadelphia suburbs, and not people who would were there because of defensive foreign policy. They were there because they wanted to you know, help Republican candidates. So it struck me that there's a big political market out there, as there should be, for uh, for political leaders and candidates who will focus much more on defensive foreign policy. I think the conventional wisdom that elections are always about pocketbooks and defensive foreign policy are on the back burner, I really think that may not be true over the next year and a half. Well, let's hope you're right, Bill, and thanks for your time today for today's podcast. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.